The Process, a podcast about creativity and making music. In a world where maybe no one is listening, outcomes and accolades for contemporary classical composers can seem far and few between. Therefore, composers must embrace the one thing they will always have complete control over, the process. This podcast aims to understand this creative process by listening to new works and discussing them with their creators. Each episode focuses on one composer and their music. By understanding how and why they create can inform inspiring composers and help audiences better understand contemporary classical music. In addition, each composer will be asked to answer a few of the creative cogitations. The creative cogitations are a list of questions all creative people should ask themselves. You can find a complete list of these creative cogitations at thenoisebuffalo at blogspot.com, as well as this and future episodes. I am Dr. Doug Bielmeyer, and I'll be your host as we explore the world of new music, creativity, and the human need to find purpose in their world and lives. This is The Process. Today's guest is Eric Salazar. Eric Salazar is an emerging artist with international press attention. Dubbed a superhuman clarinet hero by Big Car in 2015, Salazar pioneers the indie classical genre. He takes his classical training and fuses together modern electronics with classical instruments, blending ancient styles with present musical trends. Salazar's collective approach to performing wins the hearts of audiences as he guides them through the exploration of raw emotion. Eric's purpose for writing music is to create art that challenges standards, unites audiences of uncommon backgrounds, and connects souls through creative understanding. Salazar is a 2017 recipient of the Robert D. Beckham Jr. Emerging Artist Fellowship by the Arts Council of Indianapolis. When not writing and performing new music, Salazar enjoys drinking tea, playing video games, reading comics, enjoying the nightlife, and making people laugh. Thanks so much for uh, coming on to the podcast, The Process. Thanks for being here. Oh, thanks for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Great. Um, so I wanted to start with a quote um, from Kyle Long, uh, who's a Novo music columnist. Uh, 
his quote says, Salazar is a dynamic and creative performer who composes music pairing his virtuoso clarinet skills against washes of electronic sound. <laughs> so that's a really cool, that's a, that's a really great quote. Yeah. Uh, does that, does that encapsulate your music? Is that, is that what you're doing? Um, yeah, I think it does. Yeah. I mean, I'm so honored by Kyle's words, uh, you, using the term virtuoso. Uh, but yeah, I, I try to create these electronic, uh, backdrops that are essentially they're there to create a mood. And then I take the skills that I have with clarinet playing and I bring that to the table and sort of marry that classically trained clarinet feeling to these moods created by these electronic washes. Well, speaking of being uh, classically trained, uh, it says here that you hold a uh, bachelor's of music and clarinet performance from Ball State, as well as uh, a master's in music and clarinet performance from Bowling Green State uh, University. Um, tell me a little bit about how, so this is clarinet, right? This is clarinet performance. Yeah, yeah. So uh, one thing that I've always wondered is it, how did you transition to quote unquote become a composer <laughs> or were you always a composer or, you know? Oh yeah. Well, <laughs> that's a great question. And it was kind of, I guess I'll tell you the full story. So sure. when I was at Ball State, I took one single group composition uh, lesson. And it was all it was all over from there. And <laughs> the the professor there, uh, mm -hmm. Jody Nagel. Mm -hmm. Uh we got some one on one time cuz I was just working at that point in time I wouldn't call anything a full piece yet. It was just a bunch of sketches and I was talking to him about uh just describing how to me these notes are characters and what I've written down so far tells a story and he he kind of looked at me funny and he goes Eric um got some really bad news you're a composer <laughs> uh oh because <laughs> at that time I was really uh performance oriented and I, I still am that's the great part about this niche I found I perform my own compositions but so that was sort of like the first step along the way and then fast forward a few years to the end of my master's degree I I was really coming into my own with improvisation I even actually at that time I was teaching some improvisation master classes uh, as a grad student, which that was really kind of a big deal to me at the time. Uh, and so it came around to my master's degree recital, and I, of course, played a good mixture of uh, the standard clarinet repertoire and then a piece that I commissioned when I was in grad school, but I really wanted to do something super special. Because it's, you know, one of the biggest events of my life at that time. So, without telling anyone, I secretly, secretly. <laughs> uh, bought Reaper Audio Editor, which was the recommendation of one of my friends, Eric Heidbritter. He's the bassoonist with Fifth House Ensemble based in Chicago. Mm -hmm. And I started messing around with it. And I also, without telling anyone, I bought some recording equipment. I bought the, uh, oh, those Zoom H4 uh, devices. They're sure. pretty good for, 
you know, recording, like if you're in a, a concert hall or something, just setting it in front of the ensemble. But, well, uh, well, they're portable, and then they also can act as an interface as well. Right, so, yeah, right. So it's the interface is what led to my first, what I would call, real composition. <laughs> I essentially recorded myself improvising on one channel and then switched to a different channel and recorded myself improvising alongside the improvisation I just did. And it was really addicting in a way. <laughs> <laughs> and so I just spent a couple weeks just doing that till I got the backing track to uh, my first real piece called Siren, which is on uh, the album that you helped me with, Doug. And so <laughs> I do my master's recital there's a standing ovation, and people are just like not stopping clapping. And so I was just like, you know what? Now's the time. And mm -hmm. so I s told them to stop clapping, and then I told them I was going <laughs> to play something really special, and I played Siren. And that was uh, my first real composition. And what made me realize that this is what I should be doing mm -hmm. is some of my closest friends from grad school afterwards were like, Eric, man, you know, the Copeland was great. You played Debussy really well, but your piece, it was like I was hearing you and just you for the first time. And it's interesting, that first performance, it was an encore. And right. <laughs> it kind of sounds like it may have not happened. If, if people well, weren't clapping or yeah. something else had happened, it may have almost not happen. Yeah, I mean, I gave the sound tech the CD, and I was like, I don't know if I'm going to do this. Just yeah. if you see me point to you, <laughs> then <laughs> hit it. If you give, if you give him the nod, yeah. Yep. yeah. <laughs> Great. So, um, so you did that, and that's interesting. You said then people were saying, well, that's you, or they, they started right. hearing yeah. your voice. Yes, um, yes. And that's really interesting. That's an interesting story because you would think somebody who's been a performance major that perhaps their composition would spring directly from performing with others. But yeah. uh, yours seems to be, it was an interaction with technology, which yeah. is, I think is really interesting. Yeah, yeah, it, it really was. And I, you know, I, I am classically trained, but I've got a really, I, I don't think I have a very traditional trajectory. I didn't start taking lessons when I was seven. I didn't start taking lessons until I was 18, actually. So in my like, what I w my growing up life, I didn't have a whole lot of classical music. It was rock and jazz and anything sure. else. And so then when I became classically trained, that's when I discovered the magic of classical music. And uh, But that's where my composition voice comes from. I think it's, it's from the fact that I have this non-traditional classical upbringing. It's... Mm -hmm. It's a lot of different genres mixed together. Well, that's uh, that's really interesting. So uh, I guess it's it almost seems appropriate that your uh, first EP uh, or your first album uh, entitled "Live uh, in Chicago" was actually a quote unquote live album. Is that is that correct? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It it is a live album. It's uh, I was doing a performance with my tuba friend Joe Reddy in Chicago and I brought you know 25 minutes of music that I wrote and I played it and it was it, it turned out really well so I thought let's just publish this great um and uh let's see here uh, 
tell us a little bit about some of the things that you're doing here in Indianapolis. And um, specifically, uh, you are a recipient of the Robert D. Beckham Jr. Emerging Artist Fellowship um, by the Arts Council of Indianapolis. Tell us a little bit about that, being a recipient of that, and um, how that's um, been part of some of your activities uh, over the last year here in Indianapolis. Yeah, yeah, it was such an honor to be awarded that fellowship. Uh, Basically, it's an opportunity for emerging artists to, the Arts Council is all about helping artists and serving artists, and this Emerging Artist Fellowship is, they want to help you take a step in your career that's getting you closer to your dream, basically. So you write a proposal. It's partially based on the proposal you write and partially based on the quality of your art itself. And my proposal was, I'm, you know, a couple years ago, I found out I was a composer, and I started creating this body of work, and so I really wanted to get out and perform my music, and I've been doing it on my own, but I knew that I needed some help. So the other aspect of my career that I'm really passionate about is chamber music. Uh, this is just, you know, small groups of smaller pairs of instruments. I really love how intimate it is. Sure. So my proposal was, I want help, uh, not just financially, I want some mentorship help as well, learning how to book uh, gigs and plan a concert tour. So that was my proposal, planning a concert tour with a chamber ensemble where I get to perform with them and also perform my original compositions. So I've been doing this past year in Indianapolis, we've been, I put together a chamber ensemble called Forward Motion, and we are one of the great uh, new music ensembles in the city right now. There's a lot of people doing great work, and we're trying to, basically we're trying to make new music, or indie classical music, or contemporary classical music, whatever you want to call it. Well, no, stop there for a second. So you have a really great term for... uh, uh, contemporary classical music. Mm-hmm. You have a term you use, it's indie classical. Is that yeah, correct? Yeah, yeah. It actually, the term began uh, on the East Coast in New York City. That's where it originated, and everything's kind of slower <laughs> to get to the Midwest. So sure. I'm not sure if they're still using it over there, but uh, I like it. So. Oh, they're probably moved on to something else now, right? <laughs> it's post indie. It's post indie <laughs> classical now uh, on the East Coast. Yep. yeah so with that fellowship it basically gave me the resources and mentorship I needed to form a chamber ensemble because that is my long term career goal to be the leader of a chamber ensemble that I get to perform with and compose music for so what it oh
So just going back to uh, classical, uh, indie classical, once again, so what does that term, you, you've, you've sort of appropriated that term, you use that term mm-hmm. uh, instead of contemporary classical. So what does it mean to you and, and why do you feel that's appropriate for what you do? Yeah, so a couple of things. Firstly, well, what it means to me is I think it has the same relationship with classical music that a genre like indie rock has with rock music. So it's heavily influenced by the genre of classical music, but is separate from it. And I think that for my music, that's it's a good term for it, because you can hear the classical influences in my music, but you can also hear jazz and blues and folk music and throat singing and <laughs> all kinds of different genres. Uh, but I also think it's useful from a marketing perspective because, uh, sorry to say that when you say classical music, people immediately think that that's being in a symphony hall. Sure. Which is not what I'm doing. I'm Mm -hmm. using electronics and like miking up my clarinet. So I think that it's uh, mysterious enough that instead of going, oh, classical music they go oh indie classical what's that well you talked about your creative process of sort of sitting down with a, a DAW or technology a reaper as, as you mentioned and creating um beginning creation that way uh, that's very similar to somebody who maybe is in an indie rock band or mm-hmm. uh even somebody making beats in the in a home studio uh type situation so um you know, the idea that you're locked in a tower uh, writing on uh, paper with an right. ink, you know, ink fountain pen, uh, th- that's not the case. That's not how you're creating. Yep. Yeah. Um, well, great. Um, speaking of you and your music, um, why don't we take a little time now to actually listen to uh, some of the pieces? Um, and, uh, I think a great place to start might be Siren, uh, considering this was your debut Mm. encore, uh, uh, performance, uh, and let's take a listen to it. And, um, then I'd like to talk to you a little bit about, uh, quote unquote, the process of, uh, (laughs) how you put it together and, uh, sort of where it sits now in, in the catalog of the rest of the things you've done. Sweet.
so great. Uh, that piece was Siren, uh, written by, written, composed, and performed uh, by Eric Salazar. Um, interesting, and real quick, we'll, we can just say this sort of off the record. Are, so is this going to be released on Centaur, or what? Yeah, it is. Okay, yep. so should we do all, should we say all that, or we should probably uh, talk about that? Do yeah. you have a release date? Or? I don't have a release date okay. yet, but I have signed. A forthcoming release on Centaur Records? Yeah, I've signed okay. the contract, so. They got my stuff. They got my stuff. So great. That was Siren, uh, b- uh, performed uh, and composed by Eric Salazar. Um, and it's from a forthcoming release uh, on Centaur Records. Yeah. So that's exciting. Yeah. Um, well, great. A very kind of moody, kind of introspective sort of piece. And now, so this was the encore at, you said, your master's recital. Yep. So you said, what What else did you play during that performance? You said uh, some Debussy. Yeah, Premier Rhapsody, and then Copeland's Clarinet oh. Concerto. Okay. And then uh, I also played a piece that I commissioned for flute and clarinet that used, uh, it was multimedia, so it used fixed media images as the performers played the music. And music, but not a, a fixed audio component, you're Correct. saying? Not like this piece. Right. Um, so this piece wasn't that uh, far off from the other things that you were doing. <laughs> it's it's not like you were doing mostly Mozart, and then it was uh, yeah. all of a sudden this this happened at the end of the performance. Um, yep. uh so uh, tell me a little bit about, so you, you talked a little bit about its creation, which was sort of uh, experimenting in a DAW, experimenting with, on a computer with technology and an interface. Um, tell us a little bit about um, sort of the, the materials besides that that you used, or, or tell us a little bit about the meaning um, yeah, yeah, behind so, the piece. Uh, I, basically, I, have, I bought this uh, uh, just... A microphone that <laughs> I saw like I browsed some forums and was like most people were like hey this is pretty good mic for mm-hmm. a condenser mic mm-hmm. for clarinet it's pretty good if you're recording clarinet mm-hmm. uh, so I bought and, wh- that. and what was that microphone we'll do a plug for that company <laughs> uh, I don't know, you don't know? Okay. <laughs> off the top of my head you're, I, you're not a nerd like me that's <laughs> yeah, like no. oh was it the uh, dash 75 <laughs> or the dash 75 e because it makes a difference yeah no. uh, <laughs> but so so you got but but that's that's re- interesting. So you you did some research about yep. what is a good what is a good clarinet right. a clarinet mic. Right. Yeah. Um. And so so you had that microphone. You talked about the interface that you used. Yeah. Yeah. I, I just had a Zoom H four N I think, uh, and I just recorded myself and I kind of layered some improvisations and then once I had something that was. I thought it sounded really cool. I threw it into Reaper. And that's when things got really fascinating because, uh, you know, I, I realized I could do a lot with the file. Like, I it, it wasn't just, okay, I'm going to hit play and it's going to sound like this. Like, I could cut it up. I could elongate it. I could slow the speed down, which would lower the pitch of what I recorded, and then I could add on reverb and uh, different distortion effects. And so it just became this, like, fascinating puzzle for me to figure out, like, I've got this this music that I love. I'm not really sure what it's about yet. And then throwing it into Reaper and messing with it helped me learn what it was about and what it meant to me. 
and it ended up being, I called it siren, it's like, uh, not like an ambulance siren, it's like the mythological sirens in ah, the Odyssey. The siren, the siren song, mm, I see. So it's, it's supposed to be kind of eerie uh, and beautiful and seductive, but there's some menacing intention mm-hmm. behind it, and that's why it, it's got all those pitch bends and the harmonies that they, they move in and out of being pleasing to the ear to clashing. So like a moment goes by and your ears get tickled in a rough way and then the moment passes and it sounds nice again and you're like, what's going on? And that's sure. supposed to emulate the, the siren song. Great. Uh, it, so at what point in the piece do we crash into the rocks? Does, it, <laughs> does, does that happen? Or? Well, the funny part is about halfway through, it mm-hmm. starts getting dance-like. So sure. it's like it's like... It, it, it's like you're you have succumbed to the spell, sure. and now sure. you are you are charmed, so to speak, and it kind of at the end there gets to be a lot of clarinet trills and things get really fast and there's a lot of clashing harmonies, and that's kind of when <laughs> you open your eyes and realize that there's a a, a sea monster that's <laughs> yes going to kill you. <laughs> so so what was your what was the impetus for this or the inspiration for it? You for know, I just like to tell stories, and sure. I like reading stories, and uh, music for me is, uh, I, I focus a lot on mood, but I try to tell a story in that mood, and mm-hmm. so, again, I had this file that I loved, and then when I put it in a reaper, playing with the file helped me discover what the music actually was, and as I was listening to it, I just couldn't help but think of the story of the siren song. Sure. Well, technically, there's this really creative or interesting moment when we hear what sounds to be the natural clarinet, mm-hmm. um, but it's actually part of the quote-unquote what I'm calling the tape part or the electronic oh, yeah, part. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, so what? So, what was the the thinking behind that? And then shortly after we hear the we hear a clarinet, we think perhaps it is the quote unquote real clarinet. <laughs> and then we start to hear um, then you actually come in um, as right. the clarinet. So what was that moment about? What was what, what you know what were you exploring there? Yeah, so uh, this was, you know, again, my first piece I actually wanted to share publicly. So, uh, I wasn't sure at the time, artistically, if I wanted to go full electronic or sure. <laughs> keep the, that clarinet sound. And so it, it kind of, there's a lot of reverb on that, uh, we'll call it the electronic clarinet part. Sure. Uh, and so it sort of distorts the natural sound of the clarinet. So it's like, um, uh, uh, for me, that moment is just about becoming transfixed or the spell is being cast on you and so uh, all of your natural perceptions are suddenly shifted and things are blurry and hazy Uh, and then when the clarinet imitates what Mm -hmm. happens immediately before it in the electronic clarinet part it's sort of like the spell is complete and you are now repeating what was done uh, before, so you're you're officially under the spell. Yeah, and then I, I, I 
you know, prior to that and especially after that, then it becomes really hard to discern now what is the, you know, the live part and, yeah. and what's the performance part. And I'm sure in a live performance, we would visually see you playing. So that would give us some cues. Um, but listening to it solely as a recording, uh, it becomes this really interesting sort of moment where you're like, okay, now who, you know, who's in charge here? What's going on? Yeah, um, yeah. And that's sort of a lens to the story that you're telling. Yeah, yeah, and I, I just, I like how it, it, it does so much, but all, all it really is is a sound file and me playing clarinet, but it, it's, there's so much depth to the sound itself. Well, fantastic. Well, let's um, let's listen to another one then. Um, let's do uh, the title track from your upcoming album, uh, Soul Search, um, and let's take a listen to that. And we'll be interested to hear sort of some of your ideas behind creating that then.
Great. And that was Soul Search, uh, composed and performed by Eric Salazar. Uh, that is also the title track of the upcoming EP, uh, Soul Search. Um, so tell us a little bit about how this piece was created. I, just referencing real quickly Siren as compared to this piece, it feels like they were created in very different ways, perhaps. <laughs> yeah. um, so maybe talk a little bit about how this piece came to be. Yeah, um, this is one of my favorites. I play it as pretty much every time I have a set where I can play something, <laughs> I play Soul Search. Uh, but so I'll talk a little bit about how it came to be artistically and then get into sort of the, the, the process of... <laughs> <laughs> we should have a digging sound every time somebody says Just the word, keep a right? tally. Yeah. Yeah. Whoever <laughs> says it the most, most. that's, that's yeah. the best episode. <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> they get the most points. Uh, but it's yeah. a contest. Yeah. <laughs> so this is actually uh, open admission. I'm a total nerd mm-hmm. for video games. Sure. And... This was inspired by one of the best moments of Final Fantasy VI. Oh, wow. Which is it's a taking game. taking me back. Yeah. <laughs> yep. 90s. <laughs> <laughs> so I was actually way, I was too young to play it when it first came out. But um, when I was in grad school, I really needed something to <laughs> keep me from going insane. Yes, yes. <laughs> and yes. so I embarked on a quest to play and beat every single main wow. story Final Fantasy. You could get a game. degree just in that. <laughs> I feel yeah. like yes. Final Fantasy theory. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we joke, but I'm sure there's a university <laughs> oh, yeah. somewhere. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, this game, there's this moment. Uh, well, I'll back up a little bit. There's this, my one of my favorite characters, his name is Cyan, and he's a samurai, and he's the faithful servant to his king. Mm. Uh, and the main villain in the game, which is a crazy, like, clown guy named Kefka. <laughs> yes. so this sounds all very Final Fantasy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, he basically... He's leading an army that's besieging this castle. And Cyan is fighting bravely. Things are going well. It's looking like they're going to hold out. Uh, And then Kefka does a very dirty trick and poisons their water supply. Mm -hmm. And so all of Cyan's soldiers and his king and his wife and son die from the poisoned water. Mm. And so he... Uh, goes on a rampage and chases after Kefka. Kefka gets away, of course, because it's mm-hmm. only like the tenth hour of that game. You got to play sure, for the yeah. full sixty hours. Sure. <laughs> yeah. But uh, he meets up with two other characters, uh, Shadow and Mash, and they are like, "Man, we gotta like get to a safe place." And so they run through this haunted forest. Basically, I'm paraphrasing a little bit. If you sure. let the real game experience, yeah, yeah, you play play the sixty plus hours of game. And, yeah. yeah. Uh, so they go through this haunted forest, which has uh, an entity called the Phantom Train. And the Phantom Train is the train that takes people's souls to the afterlife. Ah. So it's a ghost train, and mm-hmm. when people die, they board the train from a platform. Sort of like the river sticks or mm-hmm. something, yes. Yeah. And it carries them. And so you end up 
the three characters you're playing as, they're not dead. So they're like, oh, we got to get out of here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is not a train we want to be yeah, on. Right. Yeah, right. <laughs> We're not going to ride this one to the end of the line. <laughs> so they're trying to escape, and they end up fighting the phantom train. Like, it's one of the coolest fight scenes in the entire Final Fantasy entire series. Yeah. Because they're running away from the train, and the battle's happening as the train is chasing you, and you're running away, and you have to fight and run at the sure. same time. It's super yeah. cool. And I'm assuming the train doesn't look like Henry, or what is it, Thomas, the, the, <laughs> no, tra- it, the train? it yeah. looks pretty menacing. Menacing, okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, but eventually, the heroes defeat it, and it's like, the train's basically like, Okay, you're strong enough. You, I'm going to let you go. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's not your time yet. <laughs> but anyway, uh, so they basically, the train then carries them to a platform where they can exit and get off the train and not get taken to the afterlife. But as they're exiting, Cyan sees uh, the ghosts of his son and wife Ooh. boarding the train. Mm. because they were recently killed by the villain Kefka. So it's that classic scene where the train takes off and he runs to the edge of the platform as his wife and son are being carried away. And there's this sound that they used. Those games are filled with amazing music. Sure. But this is one of those moments where silence was as impactful they took away all of the background music and just had like a like a wind sound. Yeah. And it's just Cyan staring as his family's being carried away. And so that wind sound and that moment of like just the emotions that he had been feeling, I can't even imagine, that's what inspired Soul Search artistically. Um, I wanted it to be introspective and I always tell people when I play it live with Soul Search I say think of something that's been bothering you lately maybe it's something someone said or did to you or maybe it was something you said or did to someone that you regret whatever it is think about it and while Soul Search is playing let the music bring that demon out of you and hopefully by the end of it you can let it go Mm -hmm. so that's what I'm going for artistically and it's inspired by that single moment that just affected me so deeply in that video game. Uh, and then, uh, as far as the process goes... Um, well, so that actually, real quickly, just talking about how the piece begins, mm-hmm. the piece begins with sort of that wind, that right. sound. Yes. And um, I remember first hearing the piece and saying to myself, Oh, I've I've left a microphone on or something, you know, like what, what what's going on here, and that's really that's that's a strong component of the piece is that sort of like you said silence, right? Right. Um, but you know, one thing I've noticed about the piece though too is that there's a strong, uh, you know, sort of uh, improvisational component. Yes. It seems, uh, and it seems like the clarinet playing is very active, mm-hmm. um, and sort of getting it all out. Is that, is that sort of what you're going for with that improvisation is to sort of, uh, like you mentioned before, kind of anything that's bothering you, sort of get it out? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a piece where that's exactly correct. It's a, a, I essentially compose the electronic part to set a mood, and then it's free improv, and I just improvise. 